Slick Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host, Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Praise be to God. Happy Easter. Christ is risen. Truly, He is risen. Good morning. It's going to be a great show this hour. Nick Loeb is going to be our guest. He is the director and producer, co-writer of a film called Roe v. Wade. I wonder if you've heard about this. This is going to be an interesting conversation because uh, the, the, the premise here in the pro-life movement is we all have mentioned the word Roe v. the words Roe v. Wade how many countless times, but do we actually know the details, the facts of the case? And uh, this was the challenge that Nick Loeb was given when he was uh, presented with this opportunity to make this film. So we're going to have him on the show to talk about that, why he made the film, what were the challenges in making this film, and what information is in the film that we didn't know before. What surprising facts might we learn about the case Roe v. Wade? That's going to be the conversation uh, with Nick Loeb later in this hour. Of course, we're going to have breaking news and stories. Uh, we'll have Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day. But in lieu of a uh, What's Concerning Us section today, we have Michael Lofton returning to the program from Reason and Theology with a brand new segment, and uh, we're very excited about that. Uh, good morning to you, Emily Alcarez. Good morning. Maybe we can ask Michael about Hans Kung, because Hans Kung's specialty was papal infallibility. Now, so. y- yesterday there were reports that uh, mysterious bells were ringing in Rome. That wasn't for right. Hans Kung, was it? That would make sense. Well, it was for a funeral, but he just died. I mean, no, it wasn't. It wasn't for him. It was for an archbishop. I forget his name oh, now. Okay. It was a foreign archbishop. Uh, his very foreign name. Oh, for the us. nuncio. Yes, the nuncio. Yeah, we talked uh, about the it nuncio yesterday. who passed After away. The show. Yes. Speaking right. of foreigners. Good morning, Adrian. Oh. <laughs> wow, you stole my life. I'm sorry. Speaking of foreigners, Adrian I saw Von the opportunity on the ones and twos. <laughs> I'm from the uh, the far off land of Dickinson, Texas. Truly, truly, yeah, very pretty far. Well, uh, God is very good. Uh, so, what's what's the uh, what's the new segment called with Michael Lofton, Adrian Fonseca? Uh, now, that's a tough question. Uh, no, Mm-mm. that's what it's called. No, no. <laughs> what, what is the segment called? Now, now that's with that's Michael Lofton. That, that, now, that's a tough question. No, no, it's not. Seriously, what is the segment called with Michael Lofton? It, it, it's called. Now, that's a tough question. Oh, you're saying it's called? Yeah, that's, that. that's the name of it. That's ah, the name of it. I see where you're going with that. I see where I see the Abbott and Costello and all of that. Yeah, so the Abbott and Costello. If you know what Abbott and Costello is, let us know. <laughs> of course, they know who Abbott and Costello. Who would not know Abbott and Costello? Never heard of them. Come on. Uh, you know, you did get some great questions for Michael today. I guess some pretty awesome questions. So we're going to take the questions that I received uh, via email and messenger and whatnot. And we'll also be open up the phone lines. So if anybody wants to call in uh, at, at about 6.15 Central Time, 7.15 Eastern Time, then you can uh, call in and get your questions answered by Michael Lofton. Praise be to God. So we're going to have a great program today. It's going to be lots of fun, lots of interesting conversation, and tough questions are going to be tackled 
uh, in this hour. So it's a jam-packed Catholic Drive Time Hour. If you're joining us on a station of the Station of the Cross, good morning to you. Praise be to God. It's always good to be on in Massachusetts and New York and Pennsylvania and Ohio. If you're, call, if you're on the air with us uh, today from the Guadalupe Radio Network, praise be to God. It's always great to be on in Virginia and, and Maryland and D.C., Alabama, Florida, Texas, and New Mexico, Kansas. Praise be to God for his glory and for the opportunity to be together this morning. We're going to cover a lot of ground, and we're excited you're a part of it. Let us pray. <clears throat> Whatever your intentions are, we're going to ask Our Lady, Queen of Heaven and Earth, to intercede for you and us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, and now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. The Arkansas State Legislature voted yesterday to override a veto by Governor Asa Hutchinson of a bill prohibiting gender transitioning procedures for children. Last month, the state Senate had approved House Bill 1570, the, to create the Arkansas Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act, which prohibited a physician or other healthcare professional from providing gender transition procedures to minors. The bill also blocked referrals and public funding for these procedures. Hutchinson had been expected to sign the legislation, but he vetoed the bill on Monday, citing government overreach. On Tuesday, both the State House and Senate overwhelmingly voted to override his veto. Governor Kristi Noem of South Dakota also recently vetoed a bill that would have prohibited student-athletes identifying as transgender women from participating in women's sports based on their gender identity. The French government is seeking to ban homeschooling through its recent draft bill called Reinforcing Republican Principles. The bill is designed to address the rise in Islamic extremism, especially in the aftermath of the beheading of schoolteacher Samuel Paddy for showing his class a cartoon depicting Muhammad. The bill notably establishes the ban on homeschooling that would be permitted from 2022, with exceptions only for medical or material reasons or in a case of a special situation of the child. Until now, a simple declaration by parents to local authorities accompanied with regular inspections has been sufficient in France. With approximately 62,000 homeschooled children, of which about half are children with special needs, France is currently a leading country with regard to home education in Europe, together with the UK. The controversial Swiss theologian Hans Kung died on Tuesday at the age of 93. Kung served as a theological advisor at the Second Vatican Council, but repeatedly clashed with Rome in the years that followed. The tensions culminated in a 1979 declaration by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith that Kung had, quote, departed from the integral truth of Catholic faith and therefore could no longer be considered a Catholic theologian or function as such in a teaching role. The CDF cited his opinions on the doctrine of infallibility as one of the reasons for the move. Hans Kung and Pope Benedict XVI were colleagues at the University of Tübingen in the latter half of the 1960s, but reputedly fell out over their theological differences. Kung had criticized Benedict XVI's theological vision, claiming in 2012 that the German Pope had a medieval idea of the papacy. 
I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Wednesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Blessed Mary Asanta, pray for us. She was born on the 20th of August, 1878. She was the daughter of Luigi and Ufrasi, and she was baptized in August of 1878. She grew up in Castello di Croce, in the marches of Ancona in Italy, confirmed on the 7th of July, 1880. And in 1884, she briefly attended school, learning to read and write, but she received no further formal education. In 1897, she suddenly received an understanding, a sort of a mystical understanding of her call to religious life, and she made her first vows with the Franciscan missionaries in Rome on the 5th of May in 1898. She moved to Florence, Italy, but uh, in 1904, she put in a request to move to China. She wanted to work at a leper colony. Her request was approved, and she left Naples uh, for China in 1904. She served several months as a cook in the orphanage there. But in early of 19, April of 1905, a wave of deadly typhus ran through the house. When one of her sisters appeared to uh, be on the brink of death, Sister Mary Asanta prayed and asked that she be taken instead of her fellow sister. And her prayer was granted. She died on the 7th of April, 1905, of typhus there in China. Upon her death, a mysterious perfume filled the house for three days. Her body was found intact in 1913, uh, but the burial robes were disintegrated. 30 men carried the coffin 28 miles to its current resting place in China. She was beatified on the 7th of November, 1954, by Pope Pius XII. Blessed Mary... Asanta, pray for us. The gospel today comes to us from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, the first day of the week, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus. And they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped, looking downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place there in these days? And he replied to them, What sort of things? They said to him, The things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. How our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since this took place. Some women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back and reported that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who announced that he was alive. Then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, 
he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther. But they urged him, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With their eyes, with that, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem, where they found gathered together the eleven and those with them who were saying, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then the two recounted what had taken place on the way and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I love the road to Emmaus. It is a... Uh, it is a, uh, the second mass said in Scripture here, the one, first one being in the upper room. You have the two parts, the parts that we would recognize going to Holy Mass today, the Mass of the Catechumen and the Mass of the Faithful. In the first half, you know, the Lord is breaking open the Scriptures to them. And you notice that uh, description, the, uh, the, the mighty in deed and word, that's a description of Moses himself. And so the inference here is Jesus is a prophet greater than Moses, the one Moses himself spoke of in his own uh, prophecies of the Messiah. And so Jesus is fulfilling all the the scriptures spoke of. So that first half of the Mass, breaking open the Word, pointing the way towards Christ, and the fulfillment of all of those prophecies. Of course, the second half is there with the taking of the bread, the blessing, breaking it, and giving it. The same formula that was used, the feeding of the 5,000, the same formula that was used in the upper room uh, on the night that our Lord and Savior ordained his priest and consecrated the Holy Eucharist and provided us this food for our journey towards our heavenly reward. It is a powerful reality that when the disciples are there witnessing this moment there uh, at the table with our Lord, they recognize him in the breaking of the bread and then he vanishes from their sight leaving them with the sacrament. It is a powerful thing to see in sacred scripture. If your eyes have eyes to see, I can't tell you how many times I've had to talk to non-Catholics about the Holy Eucharist, and they just couldn't see John 6. They just can't see Luke you know, 24. They can't see these things. It's up to us, you and me, with the power of the resurrection to help them see by sharing the good news wide and far. That is our job as disciples. And today we're given a new opportunity. Don't go anywhere. Michael Lofton from Reason and Theology is back with Now That's a Tough Question. All that coming up next. Some atheistic scientists claim we don't need God to explain the universe because science is sufficient to get the job done. But is this true? The answer is no, and here's the reason. Science could never negate the need for God because it can't give an exhaustive explanation of the universe. First, it relies on the inductive method in order to validate its hypotheses. As such, scientists can never be certain they've discovered every piece of data necessary to give a complete explanation. They must always be open to discovering something new that could alter their current theory. Furthermore, 
Science presupposes an existing universe to observe and explain. Thus, it could never explain why the universe exists in the first place rather than not. Science has explanatory power, but not enough power to negate the need for God. I'm Carlo Broussard with a ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Hi, Joe McClain here, host of the Catholic Drive Time, heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, right here. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of the Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations. Real Estate for Life offers their clients a faith-based experience. Real Estate for Life is online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Now that's a tough question. To get your tough question answered, call now, 877-757-9424. Michael Lofton, host of Reason and Theology, will answer your tough questions now, 877-757-9424, or comment down below. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. And now that's a tough question. Boy, that was like that music reminded me of like 1984 Dig Dug, you know, when you had a quarter and a nickel and you'd buy a piece of gum at the local uh, corner store and you'd spend your quarter playing Dig Dug. Remember that? M- Michael Lofton is on the line with us from Zoom. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning. How are you, Joe? I don't know how old you are, but are you old enough to remember Dig Dug? I don't remember Dig Dug, but I do remember Super Mario. Super Mario. <laughs> yeah, praise be to God. Well, it's good to have you back. Michael Lofton from Reason and Theology. It's been a, a couple of months now since we had you on, and we thought it'd be fun to do sort of a, a pretty regular segment, maybe once a month or so, where we open it up to our our, our audience to ask you know, the hardest questions that you know it's real stumpers now they get to ask whatever question they want uh, i think we should limit you to only 10 seconds in response oh think, boy that's, that's t- going to be even more difficult total <laughs> not teasing i'm teasing I'm, that's not going to happen we do have we are on limited time though we do have to uh, wrap this segment up uh, by the bottom of the hour so i have a couple of questions to start us off with and i see a couple of phone calls uh, on the line here so let's uh let's dive in are you ready michael often Let's do it. Uh, real quick, uh, Nick Loeb, uh, director of Roe v. Wade, is going to be our guest in about 18, 20 minutes from now. Stick around for that as well. All right. Let's see. Here's the first question. It's, it's a doozy, too. Uh, here we go. Michael Lofton, this is a tough question. How can the church teach extra ecclesium nulla solis, yet also acknowledge that Protestants and Orthodox can be saved in spite of doctrinal differences, let alone Jews, Muslims, atheists, mm-hmm. and anybody else. Uh, so maybe define extra ecclesium sure. nulla solis for our audience, Michael Often. Yeah, it, it's a Latin term that refers to outside the church, there is no salvation. And that's a really good question. It's one that a lot of people ask, and it's a fair one. I would say, okay, so when we talk about the doctrine outside the church, there is no salvation. We have to first recognize up front that it is infallibly taught. In other words, this is something that we can't uh, just say, oh, well, I don't have to believe that as a Catholic. We have to believe it just like we would the Trinity. So it's infallibly taught. The problem is a lot of people misunderstand what it means because when we say outside the church, there is no salvation, some people automatically think, well, that somehow means that somebody who might not be a formal card-carrying member of the Catholic church is automatically going to hell. 
And that's not necessarily the case. That's not what the doctrine is saying. What the doctrine is saying is more of a positive claim, and that is it's only in the church that someone is saved. The key here, however, is what does it mean to be in the church? That's where the plot twist usually is. Well, <laughs> and there has been some development here. In, in the very early ages, there were some um, things that were afforded by what we would call the church fathers, some of the early Christian figures in the first millennium that we revere. There were some things that they afforded as far as exceptional cases for people who aren't a card-carrying Catholic possibly being saved. As time, however, progressed, and especially with the discovery of the new world, you have these two principles in Scripture that you have to interact with being applied to the Native Americans, namely, God wishes everyone to be saved, and yet it's only in Christ. So what do we do about Native Americans who have never heard of Jesus? So theologians started to wrestle with that question, and they started to uh, realize, well, some of those principles that were there in the Father's on on exceptional cases could apply here as well. And it continued to develop and they began to apply it towards Muslims and Jews and so on. And so at the Second Vatican Council, which is one of our major councils in 1965, you have a document called Lumen Gentium, where it really kind of the, the development here culminates in Lumen Gentium. And it makes it clear that only salvation may be found in the church. It may only be found in Christ. Baptism is necessary for salvation, but we understand that the graces of baptism can be applied in an extraordinary way. Maybe somebody can't get to water. God can give them the graces of baptism. Maybe somebody hasn't heard of the Catholic church. God could help them be a member of the church in an extraordinary way. So it's affirming Yes, it's true outside the church there is no salvation, but there are exceptional cases on how someone could be a member of the Catholic Church and receive the grace of baptism and receive the redemption of Jesus. There's a lot more to it than that. That's just boiling it down into a really, really quick, concise answer. All right. But it, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll end it there, though. All right, let's go to a caller. Uh, good morning, Alex. Thank you for being a part of the show today. And now that's a tough question with uh, Michael Lofton uh, calling from New Mexico. Alex, what is your question for Michael? Good morning, Michael. My question, Michael, is on the uh, on the issue of declaration of saints and uh, whether that's an infallible uh, uh, issue or not. So can these declarations be reversed at a future date? That's that's my question. Great question, Alex. Thank you, Michael. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to hear the question. Can you repeat it for me? So Alex was asking whether or not canonizations were infallible. Ah, th- yeah, that, that's a really good one, too. And it's it's hotly debated right now. But generally speaking, throughout the ages, theologians tended to recognize that solemn uh, papal canonizations, a canonization of a pope are infallible. But of course, we need to take a step back and and consider the fact that canonizations weren't always made by a pope. And when we talk about a canonization, just for those who aren't familiar, we're talking about uh, a solemn declaration that somebody is a saint, that somebody is in heaven, that somebody lived a pure and holy life and they're enjoying God and his embrace, you know, after their death. That's what that's what a saint is. And that's what a canonization is. And of course, historically speaking, generally 
the canonizations of saints was either somebody was martyred, so they were immediately considered canonized, they were immediately considered a saint, or there was a general consensus among the faithful that somebody uh, lived a holy life and is in heaven. So there was that kind of consensus when it comes to canonizations. But towards the 900s, you start to have popes who actually make a solemn declaration that somebody is in is in heaven. So you have papal canonizations. So it's, it's more of a, a recent development. Um, but are they infallible is the question. It's a, it's a really good one. You'll notice that whenever a pope declares someone to be a saint, you can see this whenever Pope Francis does it, for example, with St. John Paul II. Whenever he declares someone a saint, he invokes solemn language. He invokes his own office. He speaks solemnly. He, he might even say, we decree and we define that this individual is in heaven, that they are a saint. So in other words, the... um the language that we would say the Pope is to use and employ whenever he uses his infallibility is used there in papal canonizations. So it definitely seems that they are infallible because of the solemn indicators that he tends to use. So that's why most theologians have agreed, yes, they are infallible. All right, Alex, I hope that uh, helps uh, spread some uh inspiration and light on that question. Alex, we're so very grateful. I think you're for our first New Mexico caller, so God love you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate the, appreciate the answer. Have a great day, Alex. Uh, all right, now let's go to John in Fort Worth. Good morning to you, John. Thanks for being on our show. What is your question for Michael Lofton? Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Um, my question to you is, are the words of institution the same words that would have been said by Jesus, or would have Jesus have said a different prayer along the same lines? Good question. Michael, were you able to hear that? No, the audio is not coming through. If you All right, so let me, repeat I'll it. repeat for you. John asked, were the words of institution that mm. was said by Jesus in the upper room, or just by Jesus, are those the same words that we hear in the Mass, or would mm. Jesus have said a different formula of words? It sure seems that they are the words that Jesus said in the upper room, because you have um, in 1 Corinthians, Paul quoting Jesus in the upper room, and then you see Paul applying it to the Mass, applying it to liturgical services, and he says that this is something that was handed down to him. So it sure does seem to be the same words. Now, there's very small quibble over uh, a, a few words here and there. Did he say for all, for many, things like that? But for the most part, substantially, it does seem to be the words that he said. Um, so, uh, again, we could talk about little variants here and there, sure. John, was that helpful? Oh, definitely. Thank you very much. All right, John from Fort Worth. God bless you. God love you. Have a great day. Uh, all right, so we have a couple more questions here now that we've gone through the uh, the phone lines. Um, well, next time we have them on, we'll open up the phone lines again, give you opportunities to call and ask your questions directly. But uh, we had some people write in some questions. And here's, I think, an interesting one. Uh, it, the question goes like this. If the Lord of the Rings took place in the present day, if it were real, okay, what would the church's teaching on elves, dwarves, hobbits, ants, orcs, and trolls be with regards to Christ's saving action on the cross, since, like humans, these species also have rational souls? I think we might twist this question, though, Michael, into what if we discover there is alien life form? 
Uh, wh- how does that affect Christ dying on the cross, Michael Lofton? You have yeah, two and a half, three minutes. <laughs> that is definitely a tough one. It, it, it's what I've, been, I've, when I've considered when it comes to aliens. I've never thought about it when it comes to Lord of the Rings. I love that. <laughs> um, wow, that's a tough one because whenever we speak about redemption, we talk about the incarnation, Jesus, be, the, the one who is fully divine also taking on our humanity. And in that incarnation, we are healed. The problem is, what about someone who doesn't have humanity? Are they healed? Well, here, here's the thing, just kind of shooting from the hip. Scripture not only says that individuals, as far as humans, are redeemed by the incarnation. It actually says creation itself is also redeemed. There's an aspect to where creation fell itself, not just humans, but all of creation, since creation was under the dominion of Adam. When Adam fell, all of creation fell. But the New Testament talks about how when Jesus became human, when he took on human flesh, our humanity was healed, but also creation was healed. So I wonder, could we extend that to these other beings? The, the, the difficulty is, when we speak about creation, we're not talking about things that, that have a rational soul. What if these aliens have a rational soul? How, how then uh, could it apply to them? I don't know. I would, only, <laughs> I would only go with whatever the church says at that time. I would hate to give an answer <laughs> and guess there. It's, it's tough, right? We don't want to put God in a box. You don't want to like, is. you know, God created creation. He's not limited by creation. And it's a tough thing to wrap our, our mortal minds around. All right. Uh, I mean, we are down to seconds, so I won't, uh, I won't throw another tough question at you this time. But we'll have you back uh, for another segment of Now That's a Tough Question with Michael Lofton. Uh, Michael, thank you for being on the program today and trying to, uh, trying to take a swing at these tough questions. Thanks for having me on. All right. God love you and God bless you, Michael. Have a great day. All right. So we're going to go to break here in a moment, and then we're going to come back. We'll have breaking news and stories with Emily Alcarez. And then we have uh, director, uh, co-writer, and producer of a brand new film called Roe v. Wade on. Um, now, this isn't going to be an interesting conversation because too many times we've mentioned Roe v. Wade in conversations as pro-life people. But do we really know the circumstances, the facts that surround the case? What were the what was the setting? Well, Director uh, Nick Loeb is going to be on the program to give that information to us. What motivated him to uh, make this film, and what does he hope to see accomplished by that? That's all coming up in just a few moments right here on Catholic Drive Time. Stick around. Do us a favor, and if you're watching on video, share. God bless you. We'll see you on the other side of the break. Coming right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever noticed that most modern philosophies are very dark and depressing? As G.K. Chesterton says, most people in our world today have been forced to be happy about the little things, but sad about the big ones. But that's not the way we were meant to be. We were meant to be joyful. Sadness is only an interlude. Praise should be the permanent pulsation of the soul. The Christian is able to deny himself immediate pleasures because there's great joy and fulfillment inside him. The pagan must constantly seek after pleasure because there's great sadness and emptiness inside him. Joy, which is the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Let's share the secret. Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. 
Howdy, this is Adrian Fonseca, producer of the Catholic Drive Time Show. Heard Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Central and 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And I'm proud to tell you that Real Estate for Life is an underwriter of Catholic Drive Time. Real Estate for Life connects home buyers and sellers to real estate agents while supporting pro-life organizations, offering their clients a faith-based experience. They are online at realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. God love you. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today's Wednesday, April 7th, and these are your headlines for today. Governor Greg Abbott signed an executive order on Tuesday banning government-required vaccine passports in Texas, following a similar decision from Florida last week. In a video announcement, Abbott said that Texans are returning to normalcy as vaccination efforts increase and hailed the state for administering more than 13 million doses to residents so far. The Republican governor then said that vaccination efforts should be done without treading on Texans' personal freedoms. The order states that no government agency can mandate an individual receive a COVID-19 vaccination or enforce any policy that requires a person to provide proof of vaccination in order to receive services. It also states that any institution, public or private, that receives government funds cannot deny someone for failing to provide proof of vaccination. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis issued a similar order on Friday, prohibiting government agencies from issuing vaccine passports or other standardized documentation for the purpose of certifying an individual's COVID-19 vaccination status to a third party. A recent series of shootings at a Benedictine Abbey in Missouri is only the latest case of ongoing violence and harassment against the nuns there. Last week, the Benedictine Sisters of Mary, Queen of the Apostles in Gower, Missouri, reported that they were seeking to upgrade the security of their abbey following three shootings on the property since February. The nuns are looking to raise $200,000 for an eight-foot wall around their convent. On March 24th, two bullets had been fired into the bedroom of the mother abbess. Since the sisters moved into their convent, Mother Cecilia said that people have stopped their cars to shout obscenities and honk their horns as they drive by, shining headlights into their windows at night. That harassment escalated into a shooting on the property in 2019, with three more shootings this Lent. The nuns are seeking to raise funds for an eight-foot wall near the road, as well as for the installation of security cameras. The UK Supreme Court has declined to give a mother permission to challenge their decision to remove life support from her five-year-old daughter. Pippa Parfit was born in 2015 and after suffering from seizures was diagnosed with a rare form of brain damage marked by multiple bilateral lesions. After specialists at Evelina London Children's Hospital said that life support treatment should be removed, the case went to the High Court, which issued its ruling to remove life support in January. In February, Pippa's mother asked appeal judges to overturn the ruling, arguing that her daughter should be allowed to leave the hospital and be treated at home on a portable ventilator. The Court of Appeal upheld the High Court's ruling on March 19th, a decision that pro-life advocates are calling a tragedy. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Wednesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. Thank you, Emily, for keeping us up to date on the news. Uh, before we jump into our conversation with Nick Loeb, I want to uh, just thank our generous underwriter of our program, uh, realestateforlife.org, connecting people who are trying to buy or sell houses, uh, faith-based experience, supporting pro-life organizations. We're very grateful for their underwriting of a portion of our Catholic Drive Time show. Their website is 
is realestateforlife.org, realestateforlife.org. You can also find it linked up on our website as well, grnonline.com forward slash CDT. Now, if you are at all familiar with me, my story, my background, you'll know that I am post-abortive. I shared my own uh, abortion experience in a documentary film I released a few years ago. Uh, and uh, how that affected the rest of my life. And so the pro-life cause is near and dear to me personally as a result. And this is uh, our guest, Nick Loeb, is a director. He's a writer and a producer of this brand new film called Roe v. Wade, which seems incredibly intriguing to me personally. And I'm very excited to have you on, Nick. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me, John. Yeah, thanks for being on. Um, all right. So tell us, before we jump into the 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 film itself, I know it's going to be intriguing because of some information that most people probably don't know is revealed in the film. But give us the, the super elevator pitch about your background, especially your work in Hollywood. Yeah, you know, I've, I've been in Hollywood for over 25 years, uh, started working at Universal, um, you know, mostly been sort of acting, producing. This is the first time I've I've written, directed a film. <clears throat> um, and that's, you know, that's pretty much it. I'm 45 years old. Grew up in the Northeast. Most of my friends are pro-choice and liberal. <laughs> Which is why it's intriguing. Uh, how, how does a guy growing up in a very, very liberal, very pro-choice uh, part of the world, uh, living and breathing in Hollywood professionally, uh, make a film called Roe v. Wade? Well, I, funnily enough, I mean, when, when I first brought the idea to me, my literally my first reaction um, was not why would I make uh, this movie is like, why should I make this movie? Because I, I immediately thought it would be a pro-choice movie, right? I mean, I think when, when every Americans hear Roe v. Wade, they first think about uh, a woman's right to have an abortion. And so, I mean, I like to say Roe v. Wade is the movie that um, everybody has heard of, but nobody knows anything about. And so for me, <clears throat> when I started to learn more about it, it was like, wow, this is not just some, you know, boring courtroom pro-choice movie. This is like, you know, JFK, conspiracy, Oliver Stone, lies, manipulation. This is going to be entertaining. Um, and there was a pathway uh, to coincide with my my beliefs. And no, you know, to, to answer your question, I didn't grow up uh, pro-life and very religious. I'm still not very religious. Um, um, but, you know... And, and I was taught, because I'm 45, as I said before, I'm, I was taught when a woman gets pregnant, there's just a clump of cells. I mean, that was my generation. And uh, I was involved in several abortions myself uh, when I was in my 20s. Uh, and then as technology got more accessible and you could hear babies' heartbeat, uh, you could see babies sucking their thumbs in the first trimester, and you realize, oh, wait, this is not a clump of cells. It's actually a baby and a human being. How could you do that? And then, you know, you know, and through my 30s, I went through a conversion um, and it became pro-life. And so um, and very similar when we ma- when we made the movie, we needed to tell the movie through the eyes of a protagonist. And we used Dr. Bernard Nathanson, who you, I'm sure, know, but maybe your audience doesn't know. We can explain later to tell the story. And he came from both sides. He was an abortionist and then, be, you know, very similarly, me later in life became pro-life. You know, you, I, I'll never forget watching the film that Dr. Bernard Nathanson made uh, of an actual abortion happening. It was called The the Silent Scream. The first time I saw that, I was utterly horrified and shocked. I mean, I don't think I slept for three days after watching that. It was so shocking to me. What was your experience? Well, I mean, I only 
watched the silent scream, you know, recently because it was part of my research. I mean, I didn't see it growing up. It was a, it was a documentary that was made in the eighties for your audience who doesn't know who Dr. Bernard Nathanson. He was the biggest abortionist in American history, oversaw over seventy thousand abortions. One of the founders of the National Association to Repeal Abortion Laws, and worked hand in hand with Planned Parenthood to get Roe to the courts and passed. And in the nineteen seventy four, when sonogram technology got better. He performed an abortion on a new sonogram technology and ended up converting, seeing saw that he was killing babies and ended up converting to become pro-life. And then he, in 1889, made this famous documentary called, what, as you just mentioned, called The Silent Scream, where he performed an abortion under a sonogram. And I, the whole world sort of melted down when he did this. And so, um, uh, yeah, to me, it's pretty disturbing. I, I mean, we've become very much farther with technology since 1989. I mean, I think... You know, for me, you know, with new technology today, that even looks, it looks really rough and you can see what's going on. But today with 4D technology, you know, there's a trend today coming out of universities. I mean, kids today are trending more pro-life than ever. And it's because of their access to technology for, you know, being able to see babies in 4D today. So, I mean, we've gone way beyond the silent screen today. Was that the general attitude on the set? Like, was everybody involved with the program generally pro-life? Nope. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, again, it's mostly Hollywood. I would say the majority of the people on the set were pro-choice, uh, including a lot of our conservative actors on set that you'd be surprised, maybe conservatives out in the world, but in but are pro-choice conservatives, which which happened, which are a lot of conservatives from, you know, L.A., New York, Miami. They're pro-choice conservatives. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, I think, you know, some of the older people, were more professional about it, and some of the younger people, not so professional about it. Mm. Nick Loeb is our guest. He's the uh, director of a film called Roe v. Wade. It is available now. Uh, Roe v. Wade movie.com is the website. We're going to link to it, but uh, uh, we're going to take a break in just a couple of minutes from now. Uh, Nick, I, I, you have a pretty incredible lineup of actors here. Now, you and I are similar in age, you know, in vintage. So, I mean, we <laughs> recognize a lot of these people. Uh, you know, uh, John Schneider, of course, Dukes of Hazard, John Voigt, you know, incredible. Stacey Dash. I mean, there's just some great names here. How did you go about lining up this cast? Yeah, I mean, we, you know, we wrote a great script. Uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, a cheesy faith-based movie. And I think a lot of these actors were excited to sink their teeth into a historical piece and get to play, you know, legal legends, you know, at this time, whether, you know, a lot of these guys play Supreme Court justices. Um, and like you, I mean, for me, it was so much fun to show up on set. And again, Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> Steve Gutenberg from Police Academy, you know, Robert Dobby from Goonies. I mean, it was like, you know, uh, Joey Lawrence from Blossom, Jamie Kennedy from Screaming. So I think the, a lot of these guys, <clears throat> you know, abortion is not an issue for them. I mean, they were excited to play historical figures and roles and um and that's how we ended up getting you know that kind of cast i mean the actors love to be able to play historical figures and at, at one time in history all those supreme court justices were super famous it's hard to believe that there's still information that uh, we probably don't know about the roe v wade case and we're going to go to a short break nick globe is our guest he's the director and producer of this film again it's roe v wade movie.com is the website we'll link to it but on the other side of this break, I want to know, how did you get this movie made? How hard was it to raise the funds, to promote it, distribute, all of that? This film in Hollywood seems like a conundrum. Nick Loeb is our guest. He'll be answering those questions on the other side of this break. We'll be right back.
Saint Paul tells us to pray always. Easy for him to say. One minute, monk Abbot Placid Solari of Belmont Abbey. But how are we to pray in the middle of a tense day at the office, while rushing to get the shopping done and get home, while picking up our kids and their friends for soccer? In his rule, Saint Benedict has a suggestion for us. He took short Bible verses or other sayings, such as "O、oh、God, come to my assistance," "Lord, make haste to help me," or "Lord, help." These short prayers are like darts, which are small and fly straight to their target. Since these prayers are short, we can pray them at any time with full intention. Thus, they too fly straight to God and reach their mark. For your free copy of the Rule of Saint Benedict, visit oneminutemonk.com. O N E minutemonk.com. So open your Bible, perhaps to the Psalms, and find those darts you can use through the day, and you too can be like Saint Paul and pray always. Hi, I'm Emily Alcaraz, and I'm the co-host of the Catholic Drive Time Show, which airs from Monday to Friday at 6 a.m. Central Time. I'm excited to announce our partnership with our new underwriter, Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life offers a faith-based experience while supporting the gospel of life. They work with over a thousand pro-life agents worldwide and generously support a variety of pro-life organizations. Their website is realestateforlife.org. That's realestateforlife.org. Be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm your host Joe McLean. So good to be on with you. Real quick,、uh, I want to mention there was a comment on our Facebook side from our our, our friend of the show, Luz, who's always with us every morning on Facebook. We're so glad to、uh, to see you. They、uh, they have a friend who、uh, committed suicide. Please keep them in your prayers along with their families as well. But Nick Loeb is our guest. Uh, he is、uh, the director and producer of this film called Roe v. Wade. By the way, Dr. Alvita King is also an executive producer of the film. So it's、uh, an all-star lineup. We mentioned that before the break. But I'm very curious, Nick. How did you get this thing made in Hollywood? It seems crazy. How did you raise the funds? What was it like trying to raise funds? And what was it like trying to get distribution? Did you have any major roadblocks, Nick Loeb?、Uh, yeah, I mean, from day one.、Uh, <laughs> I mean, fundraising was the most difficult.、Um, hey, listen, it's it's harder to raise money for any independent film,、uh, and and going, I had to go outside of Hollywood. I, I thought it was, you know,、uh, the disappointing part of it. I'll be honest with you, I thought it was going to be for this movie actually really easy to raise funds because <laughs> I could just go to the pro life community. I mean, I, I thought the pro life community and the conservative community would want to see a movie about Roe v. Wade.、Mm. Um, Not the case. Very tough. Nope. <laughs> They just—I think the conservative community in this is—and I, you know, going to say this—is this why we lose all the time. We don't spend money on pop culture.、Um, we spend money on, you know, maybe documentaries, galas, walks, you know, preaching to ourselves.、Um, and, and you know, we've only had one person on the conservative side who've ever learned how to use pop culture, and he won, and that was Donald Trump. <laughs> and, 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 and I and and that's how you have to win today. You have to understand how to utilize pop culture, and our side just doesn't do that.、Um, yeah, so you know, yeah, that was challenging. And、um, you know, we've gone through challenges all the way through to having major organizations try to stop this film from coming out. To even today,、um, you know, big companies trying to bury the film. And so, you know, like Amazon, day one we came out. You couldn't find it on Amazon unless you had a special link. It was unsearchable. Wow! Then I went on Fox, went on Fox News, complained about it. An hour later, it was up on Amazon. <laughs> they buried it, 
and then they started removing all our, our all of our uh, um, from all the online sites that they own. They started removing all of the movie stills, changing the order of the cast, like really? completely messing <laughs> with the picture. Um, you know, it's up on Comcast, but it's not on the 65 new releases they have. You actually have to type in the actual name of the movie on Comcast. Wow. AT&T, um, you know, has U-verse and DirecTV. They were supposed to put it up Friday. They have yet to put it up. They keep on telling us it's up, but it's not up. And if you go and you can see that they're one of the biggest donors in the last 40 years to Planned Parenthood. And we don't say, you know, not very positive things about Planned Parenthood, the movie. And so... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been really a struggle, and um, we've had some neutral sites. I mean, interestingly, like, you know, Google, and, you know, if you go to, if you go to Google uh, Play, we're literally like the fourth movie in new releases. If you go to Voodoo, we're like in the second row, like eighth movie in new releases. Um, but if you go to Amazon or iTunes, we're like movie 89 or 153. And I get confused about all these algorithms because, you know, they say, oh, it's the algorithm. Right. Right. Well, sure. Like, is. like I understand, like, okay, one site, every, they all have an algorithm. It's number, number three in one site, number seven in another site, and number two in another site. I would assume all algorithms watching people look at movies are relatively similar. They're off by plus or minus five. Not you're like three on one site and 89 mm-hmm. on another. <laughs> I, I think there's like, you know, you know, people messing around with them. Uh, um, and, you know, that's, that's what I'm dealing with today. So, uh, you know, these companies are either they're what I guess the term is shadow banning. Yeah. You know, up there, hey, we're up there, but you can't really find it or see it. Well, Nick, uh, the I was looking at your website and I noticed that the there's an opportunity for people to create uh, watch parties. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about how to how to watch it? Uh, because you know, I have a lot of friends and family that I know would love to watch this movie. Would it be like a good idea to get a party together and get the pay the five hundred dollars to start a huge watch party, or uh, or do we just go to Amazon Prime, type it in? Uh, what what do you think? In either one, I mean, those the the website with the watch parties were really created specifically. Uh, before the movie, so a lot of people who wanted to see the movie before it came out over the last two months were doing those watch parties. We had several hundred around the country, um, you know, a lot in person, but I would say the majority uh, online and virtual watch parties because, you know, with COVID and everything. Um, there are some people that are still doing it this month. You know, I think they want to do it for fun or churches want to get together and promote the movie. Um, e- either way, it's probably, you know, easier just to get everyone you want just to Go to Amazon or go to iTunes or Google Play and, um, and and watch the movie and spread the word and post it on their Facebook would be great. Um, but, you know, people are that motivated or they need to get out of their house during COVID to do something um, uh, or their churches want to have an event. Or if you're looking for an, an event for a fundraiser, I know a lot of guys that like we haven't had a fundraiser all year. Maybe, we, you know, instead of, you know, a bunch of people getting on Zoom and asking for money, maybe we can show the movie and then ask for money. Now, one of the things that it's really hard to do today is just have a conversation with someone with a different opinion. And that's what I'm so grateful about with this movie is that it's going to start conversations. So what kind of conversations have you seen? Like, is there dialogue coming out of this? And what are the fruits <clears throat> of those conversations? Like, have you seen conversions? Yeah, that's, that's great that you say that. And one of the things that I wanted to do with this movie, and I think what our what our side always does wrong, not to consistently criticize our side, but, um, you know, we tend to... Um, vilify the other side, call them evil, horrible people who baby killers. 
that's not going to change hearts and minds, right? Um, you know, there's an old expression, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. And so I didn't want to make a movie like that. And, and yes, because of the movie, I would say what I like to call people the pro, pro-choice light, right? People who are pro-choice, but they're like, okay, they're not involved with the movement and maybe haven't even thought about it that much, which is really the majority of our country, to be quite honest, right? I mean, really it's, you know, we're 50-50 between pro-life and pro-choice, but the majority of pro-choicers are not the, the, the women in Hollywood saying, shout your abortion, I can't, I can't wait to have my fourth abortion. I mean, that's very far and few between. The majority of people take it very seriously. Um, and I think they're open to having conversations. This film has done a lot of it. We even had one of our actors convert during the making of the movie. Uh, wow. I, you know, I can't even tell you who that is because he still wants a career in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, most of my friends are liberal. And I said, I have a few friends who've watched the film who've either changed their mind or have taken tremendous pause. And mm-hmm. I tell everybody at the end of the day, if you walk away from the film and you're still still pro-choice, I'm okay with that. The only thing I want someone to get out of the movie, um, the, if there only take, if there only is one takeaway from the whole movie, is that life begins at conception. And you see this with sonogram technology, right? A woman goes in for a sonogram, 80% of them who, uh, sorry, an abortion, 80% of them who have to hear a sonogram don't have the abortion. So, so if you can walk away and understand that there's a baby there, which a lot of people still ha- don't know that yet, especially my generation, um, that's all I ask. So you, when you walk away with it and say, okay, I'm still pro-choice, but oh my God, you really have to kill a baby. And if you start to think that way, maybe you'll talk more about it. Maybe you'll convert more people. Maybe you'll change your mind down the road, but at least you're taking it seriously. And that's what the conversation we need to have, and that's what these conversations are starting. No, people who are losing their minds on the left are not going to have that conversation, but you know, can't change everyone's mind. But Nick Globe is our guest. He is the writer and director producer of Roe v. Wade. Uh, Roe v. Wade movie.com is the website. We have about uh, four minutes left in our conversation with, with Nick Globe. Now, I, I got to say, I love movies. I'm a movie buff. I like watching movies as, you know, as a hobby, and I, I particularly love historical uh, movies. Uh, especially ones based on true stories. And so uh, I haven't seen your film yet, in all honesty, but I've watched uh, the extended trailer, and I will be watching this with my wife, uh, you know, this probably this weekend. I really thought the, like, the costume design, the sets, you filmed in some great places. You really gave this film an epic feel to it, and I'm looking forward to seeing it. Um, from that perspective, how important was it? How hard was it to uh, to try to tell this story? The other thing I thought was very fascinating is, um, unlike the vast majority of Hollywood films, your film comes with a f- with a fact checker already built in. Uh, so tell me about tell me about some of those <laughs> qualities of your film. We have about three minutes left. Yeah, I mean we we um, we constantly got criticized. Um, I, I, quite, I quite honestly, on both sides, uh, on the pro-choice and the pro-life side, people would see our film and like, Nick, you made that up. Uh, you embellished that. That didn't happen. I was, I grew up during that time. I knew, I, so I just said, you know, we we literally had written, we had, I, I, I read 40 books, court transcripts, literally half the dialogue is word for word what these people have said. And, and you know, the old expression, truth, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. <clears throat> so we put together a, a fact check sheet on our website. Like if there's a scene that you don't believe you think we made up, you can go to the fact check site and see the source, whether it's a letter, uh, conversation, a speech, a book, 
And no, we did not use Wikipedia as any of our sources. <laughs> <laughs> Snopes? Uh, Clearly Snopes. You've used Snopes, right? Uh, no? Yes? Exactly. No? Well, uh, <laughs> and so Snopes has tried to discredit our movie already. And, <laughs> and, and we, you know, we had to bring in the actual autobiography. I mean, the Margaret Sanger autobiography. So, anyway, so, um, you know, and so that's, and yes, having the authenticity, uh, authenticity was important to us, having the feeling um, we shot in Louisiana, most of the movie in Louisiana. I know we shot Louisiana for New York and DC. We did shoot two days in New York and one day in DC. And uh, we have incredible big shots. And, you know, I come from, I don't come from the faith world. I come from the Hollywood world. I wanted this look to make it look like a big Hollywood movie. So, you know, it could reach across the aisle and have a wide appeal and have big production value. And, you know, most of all the money went into the sets, the costumes, the designs, the period. I mean, I think at a minimum, even the people who have criticized us for the movie at least have complimented us on um, the production value. I mean, we made, you know, a movie that looked $20 million for $6 million bucks. So. Well, praise be to God, Nick Loeb. Uh, we're very grateful for you being on our program today, talking about your film, Roe v. Wade. Uh, the movie you can find at roevwademovie.com. roevwademovie.com. We'll link to it as well. It's universally found in so many locations, so please search for it, watch it, tell a friend, watch with friends. That would be amazing. Nick Loeb, God bless you. God love you, brother. Thank you, and have a great day. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. All right, that's going to do it for the first hour of Catholic Drive Time. Praise be to God. Great show. We're going to be posting that conversation with Nick later today on our social media platforms. Hopefully, you'll be able to find them. You can always find them linked up at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. But in the next hour, we're giving out prizes in our Fear and Trembling Game Show. Join us. We'd love to have you. Until then, God love you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. How should I respond to someone who wants to know if I've been saved or born again? Answer with a resounding yes. Tell them that it is through baptism that you are saved, just as the Bible says in 1 Peter 3.20, and that it is through baptism, water and the Spirit, that you are born again, just as the Bible says in John 3, verse 5. Many Protestants believe that they are saved by making a single act of faith at a single point in time in their lives. Nowhere does Scripture say such a thing. Catholics believe that salvation is a process which begins with our baptism and continues throughout our lifetimes, just as the Bible teaches us. Many places in Scripture talk about how one is saved, but not one of them says we are saved by one act of faith at just one point in time. Again, 1 Peter 3.20 says that we are saved by baptism. Hebrews 12.14 says that we will not see the Lord unless we are holy, and that we must strive for this holiness. Matthew 6 verses 14 and 15, it says we must forgive others or we will not be forgiven. Can you attain salvation if God hasn't forgiven you? No. So our forgiving others is necessary for our salvation. John 6 verse 54 says that we will have eternal life by doing something, eating the flesh and drinking the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In Matthew 19, verses 16 and 17, Jesus is asked directly what one must do to have eternal life. Did he say, accept me into your heart once and that's it? 
No. Jesus said to keep the commandments and you will have life. Yes, as Catholics, we are born again. And as Catholics, we believe that we were saved, as Paul says in Romans 8.24, that we are being saved, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, and that we will be saved, as Paul says in Romans 5, verses 9 and 10, provided we persevere and keep our eyes on the prize. Salvation is a process, just as Catholics believe and just as the Bible clearly teaches. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium? Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the University of Dallas offers an exceptional liberal arts education preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Welcome to your Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. We love God, we ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic Drive Time. With Joe McLean and Emily Alcaraz. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. Keeping you informed and inspired, I'm your host, Joe McLean. Happy Easter, Christ is risen. Praise be to God. Hallelujah, he is risen. It's good to be back on with you. Uh, I see uh, Mr. Thomas, our friend from Florida, is back on the uh, YouTube stream. Good to see you again. Praise be to God. He, he's asking specifically for the horns of the apocalypse. Speaking of the horns of judgment, Adrian Fonseca is here on the ones and twos. Good morning to you, Adrian. Good morning. Good morning. Yes, I am here, and uh, we'll see about the uh, the horns of judgment. Praise be to God. Uh, Emily Alcarez, good morning to you. Good morning. Good to be back in studio with you guys this week. Jo- we just wrapped up a great conversation with Nick Loeb, director of the film Roe v. Wade, plus brand new segment on the show last hour with Michael Lofton called Now That's a Tough Question. And we actually had some fun, good questions. So that was pretty cool. We really enjoyed that. But, you know, I forgot to ask Nick, you know, in his film, he says there's a whole bunch of uh, there's a whole bunch of facts that were revealed in the film uh, that most people don't know about Roe v. Wade. And one of those facts that he's sort of spoiler alert is that there, I think there was at least two Supreme Court judges who ruled on Roe v. Wade who had relatives that worked directly for Planned Parenthood. So clear conflict of interest going on, and that is all displayed in the film itself. So hopefully you'll be able to watch that film, Roe v. Wade. Um, but we'll be posting our interview with Nick Loeb on our YouTube and Facebook channel and Twitter elsewhere uh, later today, or Rumble, rather. We'll be posting all of that later today. Uh, so Keep an eye out for that. Do us a favor. When you see that come up, watch it as soon as possible. That helps with the algorithmic problems that we suffer from being a Catholic evangelist organization. Uh, Nick was talking about the problems he was having with the algorithms. Well, we do too. So watch the content as soon as it comes. Share, like, all of that. It's super helpful. All right. In this hour, praise be to God, we're going to have the good news segment, unlike the last hour, which is all bad news segments. Is that how that goes, Emily? Yeah, that's right. It's good all news segment. Bad news last hour, good news this hour? Normally, yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, inspiring news on the way here. Plus, we'll have, uh, of course, the Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day. And then we'll have our Fear and Trembling Game Show, the Catholic Trivia Game Show, where prizes are involved. 
And uh, this week, it's wh- who's the sponsor? Worthyofagape.com. Uh, Amanda is a Catholic mom who makes peg dolls, Catholic saint dolls. Worthyofagape.com. Praise be to God. Thank you for your generous gift. All right. So then, of course, we'll have an after show in the last half hour where you, my dear listener, get to drive the conversation. So if you want to be a part of that, you can always watch us on the live video feeds. You could comment or send us an email, adrian at grnonline.com, or find some way of getting us a message, and we will include that in our conversation in the after show. Let's pray and jump straight into it. Whatever your intentions are, dear listener, today, whatever your needs are, whatever's on your heart, we are certainly praying for you. Lou's one of our uh, fans of the show, listener of the program. She is uh, praying for uh, a family member, or a friend rather, who, who committed suicide. We're praying for the repose of their soul, God's mercy on their family, as well as all of our own personal needs here at the Guadalupe Radio Network. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And now the headlines with Emily Alcaraz. A Catholic priest went viral after asking his parishioners to forgive him for leaving them without the Eucharist during the lockdowns last year. Father Sergio Munoz Fita, pastor of St. Anne Roman Catholic Parish in Gilbert, Arizona, said during his April 1st homily, quote, Many of you, in the most difficult moments of the pandemic, turned to your father for bread and we gave you stone. We failed you by denying you the only food that could sustain your hope. We abandoned you when we should have been closest to you. For this, at this Holy Mass, I ask your forgiveness. Father Munoz Fita, who was ordained in his native Spain in 2004 prior to coming to the U.S. in 2012, and who is a member of the Secular Institute of the Servi Trinitatis, then promised his flock that he would never betray them in such a way again. In his first interview after being released from jail, Canadian pastor James Coates described in detail his time in prison, from ministering the gospel to his fellow inmates, giving him a sign of support as he was released. Coates had been jailed for several weeks following a worship service held in defiance of lockdowns in Alberta. Coates said, quote, In the moment that I was leaving, I turned around and lifted up my hand to wave, and the doors of the pod began to shake as the men in their cells just banged on their doors as a sign of support, of love, of affection. Coates walked out of Edmonton Remand Center as a free man on March 22nd after a $1,500 fine was paid as time served. After his release, he went straight back to preaching, despite police presence outside his church this past Sunday. And speaking at his general audience today, the Holy Father noted that whenever people pray, they're surrounded by both hidden and canonized saints. Pope Francis said, quote, Prayer is always born again. Each time we join our hands and open our hearts to God, we find ourselves in the company of anonymous saints and recognized saints who pray with us and who intercede for us as older brothers and sisters who have preceded us on this same human adventure. There's no grief in the church that is born in solitude, and there are no tears shed in oblivion, because everyone breathes and participates in one common grace. The address was the 28th reflection in Pope Francis's cycle on catechesis on prayer. I'm Emily Alcaraz, and these are your Wednesday morning headlines through a Catholic lens. Praise be to Jesus Christ in all things. 
Blessed Mary Asanta, pray for us, born in 1878 in Italy. On March the 2nd, 1897, she suddenly received uh, sort of a mystical understanding of her call to religious life. And she made her first vows with the Franciscan missionaries in Rome in 1898. She moved to Florence in 1902. And on January the 1st, 1904, she put in a request to go to China to work at a leper colony. And a request was granted, and she left that year for China. She spent several months working as a cook in an orphanage there. But in early of April 1905, a wave of deadly uh, typhus ran through the house. And when one of her sisters was on the brink of death, Blessed Mary Asanta prayed and asked to be taken instead of her, and her prayer was granted. She would die of typhus on the 7th of April, 1905, and upon her death, a mysterious perfume filled the house for three solid days. In 1913, they would find her body intact, although her burial robes would be, you know, falling apart, disintegrating. 30 men carried her body, uh, her coffin rather, for 28 miles to its final resting place in China. She was beatified on the 7th of November 1954 by Pope Pius XII. Blessed Mary Asanta, pray for us. The gospel today comes to us from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. That very day, the first day of the week, Two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus, and they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped, looked downcast, and one of them, named Cleopas, said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place in these days? And he replied to them, What sort of things? And they said to him, The things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty indeed and word before God and all the people, how our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death and crucified him. But we are hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since this took place. Some of the women of our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back and reported that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who announced that he was alive. Then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but they did not see him. And he said to them, How, oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke! Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther, but they urged him, Stay with us. For it is nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. But he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, 
Were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem, where they found gathered together the eleven and those with them who were saying, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then the two recounted what had taken place on the way and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, when was the last time, dear friend, when was the last time that you said, in relation to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, in relation to the faith, in relation to pondering upon the Scriptures, that our hearts are burning within us? When was the last time you could say that about yourself? I think it's time for us to have that feeling again. Amen? Adrian, what did you get out of this? Yes, and uh, like always, especially with these long passages, there's about a uh, hundred dozen ways to uh, go about uh, talking about the passage. Uh, one point I just want to focus on is right at the beginning, Cornelius Lapide expounds upon how they, uh, the manifestation of our Lord to these two disciples that are walking on the road to Emmaus. Now, this passage can be, uh, there's two points that I want to take it away. The first point of what is actually happening here with the glorified body of our Lord. And the second point of why would the, why did God choose to do it this way? I'll do it with the latter first. Why did he, God choose to do this way? Well, we know that because he's God, every action he does will be the perfect action. And so whenever there are more than one option that Christ could have made, the option that he took is obviously the perfect one because he is God. So why did he manifest himself in a way that was uh, not visible to them at first and then later reveal himself? Well, Cornelius Lapide says that the reason why he did this was for a fivefold reason. I'm going to give two of the reasons. Um, the first re- of the reasons I'm going to give is because he wanted to show himself and expound upon the scriptures before revealing to them. Because if he revealed himself in his glorified body completely first, they would believe but they would then, after he leaves, then have doubts later on. Um, whereas here, he builds upon their faith through reason, through uh, expounding upon the scriptures, opening up the scriptures and showing the fulfillment of the law and showing how all, this thing, all these things were foretold. And then he shows himself to be who he said he was, who he's talking about here, who is Christ risen. And then they can have a f- more firm belief. The second point being that if he had shown himself then they would not have admitted their doubt to Christ. And then he could not alleviate the, uh, their doubts from them. And so he allowed themselves to be hidden so that way he could uh, soothe their doubts that they were having of our Lord. And then the last point, I got about a minute left. Uh, so it'll be to wrap that up real quick. Uh, the, St. Augustine uh, has like four different opinions on this. He changes his opinion about what's happening here like six times. Uh, and Cornelius Lapide goes, well, Cajetan says this, Dionysus says this, Augustine says this in four different ways. Uh, St. Thomas and Suarez say this. And uh, the consensus being that our Lord hid himself uh, because the glorified body is able to change, not the shape, not physically, but because the, once your glorified body, once you have it, you are perfect. Your physical body is then perfect. And so it's not the actual physical appearance that changes. It is the appearance to you, like looking at a mirror, that changes. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that. All right. Praise be to God in all things. All right. So what comes next? Of course, it's the Fear and Trembling Game Show.
And now is a new opportunity to get in on the game. Yesterday was so much fun. We had a great guest yesterday from Bulverde, Texas. I wonder who will be our caller today. I wonder from uh, where they will be calling from. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. If you've never played before, now is your chance. And you don't even need to know the answers to the questions. It's that easy. And prizes are involved. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. Call right now. Your phone line is open and waiting. Are there any basic rules for doing apologetics? First Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to make a defense. Always be prepared, Scripture tells us. How can we always be prepared to make a defense of our faith? Rule number one, pray. Pray to the Holy Spirit that He give you the courage to share your faith and the wisdom to choose your words carefully and profitably. Rule number two, you don't have to know everything right now. Learn a little bit more about your faith each and every day. Read Scripture. Read the Catechism. Listen to Apologetics tapes. Listen to Catholic Radio. Learn a little bit at a time. Rule number three, Luke 5, verse 10. Do not be afraid. Henceforth, you will be catching men. Jesus said this to Peter, but he's also saying it to us. Will you make mistakes and get into tight spots when you start sharing your faith with others? Yes, of course you will. But Peter made mistakes, and he got into tight spots. Yet Jesus told Peter not to be afraid. Why? Because if we are sincere in our desire to share the truth with others, to share Jesus Christ with others, then Jesus will find a way to make good come from even our mistakes. Rule number four, always view a question about your faith or even an attack on your faith as an opportunity, an opportunity to share the truth. Rule number five, don't get frustrated. Catholics often get frustrated by what I call the doctrinal dance. You get asked about purgatory, Mary, the Pope, the sacraments, all in rapid fire succession. Before you can answer one question, you're asked another, then another. Just keep bringing the discussion back to one topic until you've said all you want to say, then move on. Rule number six, never be afraid to say, I don't know, when asked a question about your faith. Don't try to wing it. However, always follow I don't know with, but I will find out and get back to you and make sure you do. A beacon of truth in a troubled world. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. And now your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time and Fear and Trembling, the Catholic Trivia Game Show, where we have a secret and hidden agenda. So please do not do not share this publicly with anyone. Uh, but uh, here we like to teach a little bit about the faith. So you learn something new you did not know before, praise be to God. And uh, we like to have a little laugh in the process. And prizes are involved, so it's a win-win-win for everyone. And here's the kicker. Here's the uh, the real secret sauce, is we do not ask our callers the questions, right? So you don't even need to know the answers to any of these questions to still be a winner. In fact, we ask Emily, we ask Adrian, one of them will be right and the other will be wrong. And the caller will have 15 seconds on the clock to decide who do they trust more, Emily or Adrian? 
And the uh, every right answer goes into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Tell them what they could win, Emily. This week's prize sponsor is WorthyofAgape.com. Worthy of Agape is a Catholic shop uh, started by Amanda, Catholic mom and wife, and she makes... Catholic peg dolls. So she's made just about every saint you can think of. And this week she's giving away your patron saint. Whoever wins gets to pick the saint that they want in a a peg doll. That's super awesome. We have a whole collection of peg dolls of Our Lady's apparitions at the house. They're super cute. And you can find Worthy of Agape on all their social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, as well as worthyofagape.com, which is their website. All right. Thank you, Worthy of Agape, for underwriting this week's prize. We're very grateful. And for all those who called in to be a part of our game show, we're always very grateful for that. If you don't get in today, try again tomorrow. Call early. That's fine. That's fair. If you want the rules, information, and phone number, you can find it on our website, grnonline.com forward slash cdt but let's go to the phones vicky good morning our first caller thanks for being on our program today good morning vicky where are you calling from um dallas area dallas texas praise be to god happy easter to you vicky where do you go to church uh, St. Luke's in uh, Irving, Texas. St. Luke's in Irving. Well, wonderful. Praise be to God. Now, Vicki, are you familiar with the way the game is played? Have you been listening before? I have. So you know then. You know very well yes. Emily and Adrian could fool you, and you got to listen very carefully. Right. But I, however, am on your side, right? Thank you. <laughs> Don't believe him. Don't believe him. <laughs> All right. We will start with Emily, as is our custom. Emily, are you ready? I'm ready. Are you sure? Absolutely. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. Here we go. Emily, can you tell me, what is the act of recalling one's sins in preparation for the sacrament of penance? Okay. Sacrament of penance. So every time you go to confession, you do an examination of conscience. Mm. Sounds very specific. Yes. Oh, let's just see. Let's just see. Adrian. Adrian, can you tell me what is the act of recalling one's sins in preparation for the sacrament of penance? Did you say the act? The act. The act. The act of recalling, bringing to mind your sins mm-hmm. in preparation for going to confession. I'm going to say the act of contrition. The act of contrition is the your act answer. Of contrition is my answer. Hmm. Are you sure? Uh, that's what I'm going. Okay. With. Okay. Adrian is on the hook for act of contrition. <laughs> Emily is on the hook for examination of conscience. Fifteen seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Vicky, what say you? I say Emily. Survey says. Congratulations, wow. Vicky! You did it. You are officially in the coffee cup of divine providence. You were not tricked at all by Adrian's. Uh, r- r- what, how does Christopher Chance say? Well, he call, what does Christopher Chance call? He calls it the uh, the the answer wrong answer. So so, so wrong. So so wrong. Hashtag wrong answer. <laughs> that, so so that wrong. One wasn't it was, that bad. It wasn't bad. It was. I think that was a reasonable, reasonable. Uh, wrong answer. Now, how often should one make an examination of conscience? Pop quiz. Every, every night. night. Every night should? before going to bed. Well, ask God. a Jesuit, they do it three times a day. Wow. <laughs> well, well. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's avoid that rabbit hole. All right, Vicky, congratulations. You're in for one. Let's go for two. Uh, I think they get easier from here, but we'll just have to see how it goes. Adrian, are you ready? Uh, yes. Adrian, can you tell me in what century was the Council of Trent held? Uh, the Council of Trent was held in the 16th century. Hmm. 
It'll be the 1500s. 1500s. Okay. Okay. Let's see what Emily has to say. Emily, can you tell me in what century was the Council of Trent held? Well, I know that the the Trentine Mass was codified at the Council, so I think it was pretty early on. Maybe like the third century. Third century. Yeah. Okay. All right. So Adrian is on the hook for the 16th century or the 1500s. And Emily is on the hook for the 3rd century, or the 200s. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Vicky, what say you? I go with Emily again. Survey says... Oh! I'm so so sorry. sorry. Emily, how do you live with yourself? Tricking people like that. I hate getting the answers right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Vicky, but in fact, uh, Adrian was right this time. It's my favorite counsel. It happens on rare occasion, but Adrian does get some of them right. And in this case, it's true. 16th century. What was in response to Adrian? The Protestant Revolution, and it was uh, answering a lot of the Protestant objections at the time. And yes, the uh, the Tridentine Mass was then, that's why it's called the Tridentine, in reference to the Council of Trent. Uh, that took place between 1545 and 1563. All right. But don't fret. You're already in the cup, Vicky, and you still get one more shot at this. Uh, and again, I think this one probably is going to be the easiest of all, but we'll have to see. Well, uh, well back to you, Emily. Are you okay, ready? I'm ready. Here we go. Emily, can you tell me, in church architecture, what is the name of the semicircular vaulted end of the church building in the center of which... The altar is placed. What is that part of the church called where the altar is placed, semicircular, vaulted ceilings, usually very, very ornate and beautiful? I know it's not the nave because we already asked that question. So it must be, I think it is called the apse. The apse? Yes. Okay. Let's see what uh, hashtag wrong, so wrong answer Adrian has to say here. Adrian, can you tell me in church architecture... What is the name of the semicircular vaulted end of the church building in the center of which the altar is placed? Well, when I was growing up, the uh, they had a circular object right in the middle of the uh, of the sanctuary of the church, and that was the baptismal area. So I'm going to say the uh, the baptismal area. The baptismal area. Yes. That's the official title? That's the official title. That's like the technical term. They're usually circular. The, the, the technical term. Okay. All right. So uh, Adrian is on the hook for the baptismal area, and Emily is on the hook for the apps. 15 seconds on the clock. Who's right? Who's wrong? Vicky, what say you? I'm going to say Emily. Survey says... Congratulations. There we go. Congratulations. <laughs> yes. Are you trying to redeem yourself this time? Is that what that was going on there? Uh, now, congratulations, Vicky. Two times in the coffee cup Woo. of Divine Providence. That's not bad at all. There was a few curveballs thrown your way, but you did pretty good. How do you feel? Um, good. I didn't know a couple of the answers, so I had to guess. <laughs> Praise good be to guess, God. Good well, intuition. I learned. Yes. I learned today. Amen. We also, all technically, learned. baptismal fonts are octagonal usually okay, and not okay. circular. <laughs> just, just for the record. Just for the record. <laughs> we're always learning something here, Vicky, and we're very glad that you were on our program today. Uh, so we're going to put you on hold so that we can get your phone number in case it be God's will that you are pulled out of the coffee cup of divine providence on Friday. Uh, so you'll have to tune in for that to see if that's the case. But uh, thanks for being on our show today, Vicki. Thank you. God love you and God bless you. But I'm going to put you on hold now. 
And what are you two chuckling about over there? The we, we have to talk about it in the after show. <laughs> the it's Jesus. It's, oh, Jesus is going It's down. Jesus, Chris, and Lori. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. So all of that will be in the after show of our program, which is coming up in just a few minutes. So don't go anywhere. Unless you're going to, of course, attend Holy Mass, which is going to be broadcast uh, across the Guadalupe Radio Network here in a moment or two. And if you are, please do keep us in your prayers. We certainly are praying for you, but we're going to ask you to keep our intentions in your prayers as well. I want to thank everybody who is a part of our program today, especially those that are sharing our program on social media. It really does help us in a very big way to just not just increase our audience, but have the opportunity to share the good, the true, and the beautiful with more souls uh, while there is still time on the clock to do so. Like Luz and Patty and Sean and Glenn and Lori, uh, our friends that are hanging out with us on social media, thank you for sharing our video feeds, watching our content, liking. It all means a lot to us. We're very grateful to you. If you can uh, subscribe to our podcast feed, you can find them on Google Play. You can find them on iTunes. You can find them on Spotify and elsewhere. It really does help us as well. Make sure to leave a review. I mean, we ask for five stars, but whatever's on your heart, that'd be great too, uh, because the more reviews on podcast feeds, the more uh, opportunity we have to reach new people, uh, people who have never heard about us and could experience us. The more reviews bumps us up in the catalog and the algorithm and all of that. If you're listening to us on the radio, praise be to God in all things. Make sure you download the mobile app. You can find the Guadalupe Radio Network app on Android and iOS stores. And it's free and it works very, very well. And it gives you our podcast feed right in the app itself. Great place to go. You can find details about our show and everything else at grnonline.com forward slash cdt. That's grnonline.com forward slash cdt. Tomorrow on the show, Patrick Coffin is going to be on to talk about cancel culture. He recently got canceled by YouTube for daring to rock the boat about the official narrative of things. So we're going to have that conversation in our first hour tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, and we hope that you will be a part of it. But until then, if you can hang out in the after show here in a minute, we'd surely love to talk to you. You get to drive the conversation. Whatever's on your heart, comment on one of our live video feeds, and we'll be chatting about that in just a moment. Otherwise, we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. God love you. God bless you from all of us here at the Catholic Drive Dime team, trying to keep you informed and inspired. Have a great day. We'll see you then. joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time, where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Welcome to the after show of Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired, and uh, talking about uh, the, the show topics today in a much more casual way, letting our hair down, maybe being a bit goofy and silly sometimes, but that's okay. Praise be to God. It's good to be on with you. Thank you for hanging out with us on one of our live video feeds. Uh, please smash the share, smash the like. We're very grateful for that. That is, that is like an act of evangelization these days, and we're very grateful for it. But um, 
a lot of comments to get into. Uh, we have the usual suspects, and I think there may be at least one person who may be new. In which case, we're going to have to try to uh, we're going to have to try to convince Mr. Fonseca to give us the horns of judgment, the horns of the apocalypse, which he refuses to do. I don't know why. Um, it's so much fun. Uh, Donald. Don, he asked yesterday to call him Don. Don Paddock, good morning to you. Praise be to God. Josh Null, good morning to you. Alex from New Mexico, thanks for calling in today. It was fun to take a New Mexico call. Uh, Joaquin, good morning. Praise be to God. Gloria, good morning. Thank you for hanging out with us on the Facebook side. Who else do you see, Emily? Uh, we have on, on, I'm not looking on Facebook right now, but Susan, good morning. And Susan said that she has seen the Abbott and Costello's famous comedy skit. Who has, who has not seen Abbott and Costello? If you've never, if you never heard of Abbott and Costello and their act, their skit, who's on first, leave that in the comments. I mean, because of course, every human being with a rational soul Except for Adrian. knows and has heard of and has seen firsthand uh, Abbott and Costello. Or not firsthand, because it was like a long time ago. You saw it on YouTube, right? Even I, as a kid with no YouTubes, I saw Abbott and Costello on television. It was amazing. Did y'all already um, say hi to our to my favorite uh, GRN listener? Your favorite employee, according, according the one to, that I the one I'm paying. According to our union rep, we are not allowed to read that person's uh, comments uh, until you have acknowledged them first. Well, the person I'm referring to is um, Jesus. Is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. He is. He was right there. He, he is was, that his official theme song now? That is his official theme song now. That is. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, poor Jesus Robles, my friend. Did he just call himself moi? Moi. <laughs> now, um, not moi. <laughs> for, for those who are like, what is going on? Jesus Robles, friend of the show. He, now, he, we, we typically have a scourged Jesus behind us, but he, uh, that is Jesus's, and he lends it to us uh, for the show. He's lent it to a parish. We haven't gotten it back, so hopefully it'll return soon. But behind Mr. Fonseca is another one of Jesus Robles' beautiful statues. This is of St. Michael the Archangel uh, slaying Satan, and it is exquisite and amazing. Praise be to God. we got to get a, some close-up, close-ups on camera for that. Uh, but Jesus Robles is a friend of the show, and uh, if there is a rumor, a conspiracy abounds, that Jesus Robles is quietly being paid off by our producer uh, to say good things about him during the show. My entire paycheck. Yeah. My entire paycheck goes to hyping myself up. <laughs> to hyping yourself up. Is this your PR program? I mean, this is your this is your whole. Uh, I, I'm whole trying PR to get. Program. I'm trying to get uh, Michael Knowles to hire me as his producer, and this is you know the step to take. <laughs> <laughs> is that, is that, okay. Well, you had your chance yesterday. You could have, you could have, uh, you could have tried to, to a, you know, audition or something live. Nah, his producer would have like hung him up, hung up on him. It'd have just been a click. <laughs> well, okay. So we have a few more people. Let's acknowledge here on the Facebook side. Praise be to God. We see uh, Christopher Chance, our friend Sean Rice. Good morning to you. Uh, Patty was on, of course, as usual. It's always good to see our friend Patty, but she always goes to mass, so she's not hanging out with us this morning uh, for the after show. Christopher Chance is like the man of many hashtags. Uh, uh, David Everest was on, praise be to God, our friend and supporter of Catholic Radio on the GRN. He had a great question for Michael Lofton. We just couldn't get it in, but we'll have to maybe save that for next time or something. Mm -hmm. It's really good. Uh, who else? Good morning uh, to Angelo, yeah. Jay Cabrera. Je mm. Is that Jen? Jennifer, yeah. Jenny. 
S. Godfred, have we yes. met S. Godfred? Does he need the horns of the apocalypse? The horns of judgment? Whoa! Do we have our button? The horns of the apocalypse. Why is the sky on fire? That is so epic. <laughs> yes, why is the sky on fire? <laughs> Your face. That was great. That was you were not expecting So if you've never... I was not ready. That was scary. I wasn't. It caught me off guard. I was guard. scared. So if, you, uh, if you're like, what in the world are these crackpots doing? So if you've never commented before, and you're a first-time commenter, you get... You get the horns of the apocalypse. You get one of our uh, sound effects. You, you get the horns of judgment. You scared Lori, too. That's a, way to, that's a way to thank you. Now, your options are, I can personally do the horns of judgment live on the air, or you get the button. And the button seems very cool. Do I have the button on my phone? No. What? It's, it's kind of uh, complicated. Have, I have to have your phone in order to you have not, switch uh, it over. You have not equipped me for the, uh, the horns of judgment. I'm going to have to work on that. Now, uh... Just so you know, if you're joining us brand new and you're like, I don't get these people. The Horns of Judgment. You, you've seen those viral videos. They were going around like, the, like last year, year before. And like out of nowhere, the sky was filled with the sound of, of like, these, like the seals were being broken in heaven. Yes. And uh, people were like, what is that? Where is it coming from? And there were just all these viral videos of people filming this mysterious sound of, these, of the Horns of Judgment in the sky. So the, that is the sounder we play when you have commented for the first time. So S. Godfrey, I think he's a first-time commenter, is he not? I think so. Praise be to God. I'm Welcome to sure. the show. Uh, Christopher Chance, we already mentioned Christopher. and He's got some pretty cool, uh, he had a what, hashtag Joe is on your side as long as Emily and Adrian do not crack him up. <laughs> That's a good one, Christopher. That's a long hashtag. That's a pretty long hashtag. Uh, Jesus Robles says, I must admit, Adrian sounds sneaky, even when he's right. <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's what me and Emily were laughing about. We were reading that. That's really true. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Like, you never really know if he's being honest or not, unless he's, unless he's wrong. Unless I'm so, so wrong. <laughs> or, or if there's a child, then I have to make it really, really obvious. Yeah. But if it's not, since everybody just assumes I'm wrong, I decided to just, you know, Go with the uh, being as as shady as possible with all my answers, even if I'm 100% sure. Lori says, hashtag, I'm here for the mug. Yeah. Where is my mug? I don't even, someone stole my mug. I don't have my mug this anymore. Is it, no, I had a different one. Yeah, that one. Show that one on camera. Sorry. The CDT mug. Custom. All right. A scorched Christ and the Corpus of Our Lord is another statue that Mr. Fonse, or Mr. Robles, see, I can't even distinguish the two of you anymore. We're basically the same Like, person. where does one end and the other begin? That's the question in my mind. And have we ever seen you in the same room at the same time? Yes, you posted a picture online. I posted that? Yep. Are you sure? I'm 100% sure. That sounds conspiratorial to me. Um, <laughs> Joe's look of pleasure <laughs> at the horns of judgment. Now, Jesus is bringing a uh, corpus, a scourged uh, and crucified Lord, that he had, he had commissioned to be made by a master craftsman in Mexico. And we should, we should actually talk to him about that. We should get him on to like, sort of talk us through some of, his, uh, some of his awesome pieces. Sounds like Jaws movie, Jesus says. Now we know your tell. Oof, they've got you figured out, Adrian. They've got you dialed in. They don't have to change it up. Monica, praise be to God. Good morning to you. Max Smith, 
Does GRN support Opus Dei? Now that's interesting, Max. Uh, that's a good question. Do, what do you? It depends on what you mean by Opus Dei. Do we give money to Opus Dei? No, no. We it do also not. means by what do you mean by support? Yeah. yeah. What do you mean by GRN? What do you mean by does? We can go through the whole word, <laughs> every word. Let's, let's not, do a, not quite what I meant. Let's do a critical analysis of Max Smith's uh, sentence. And, and has Max Smith ever commented before? Hello, Max. I'm just curious. What is uh, you know, actually. I don't remember him being there. I think this is a, a better welcome to the show, in my opinion. All right. Do you want the horns of judgment or do you want the hallelujah? I mean, I, I mean, where's my duh button, of course? We all know what you're going to say. But you can comment. Do you prefer hallelujah as a welcome to the show or do you want the horns of judgment, the horns of the apocalypse, the seals being broken in heaven? Which one is more epic, I wonder? <laughs> duh. Did you just play two buttons over each other? No, he played the duh oh. button. <laughs> I turned the volume way down, uh, and he hit the duh button. Valentine says, good morning. Good morning, Valentine. Good morning, Valentine. John Delac, praise be to God, says, loves the horns. Awesome, brother. Preach it from your lips to God's ears. Of course, the horns of judgment are amazing. Uh, it's a shame y'all don't have any fun. I agree. It is a shame that we're very stuffy. Yeah, we should probably uh, joke around a little bit more. Guys, or maybe Al we should be serious. Alaric has a serious question. Uh -oh. <laughs> okay. Uh-oh. Time to go serious again. What is it? Did our Lord offer the Mass, consecrate the Eucharist, or symbolically share bread on the road to Emmaus? Does, does Alapide clarify? Yes, he does. All right. I'm glad yep. we answered that question. Okay, good, good, good. Talk. Moving good talk. on. Moving on. No, okay. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. You said serious, serious. My bad. No, he said, let me, let me quote. He said, uh, verse 30, uh, in commenting on verse 30, he said, quote, He took bread and blessed it. He blessed it by causing it to become his body as in the consecration of the Eucharist. For that Christ thus consecrated it, although Jansenists and some others deny it, it is clear because St. Matthew, Mark, and Luke use the same words concerning the institution of the Eucharist as St. Luke uses here. And then he goes on and explains further, but I think that's sufficient to answer the question. Yes, according to Cornelius Lapide uh, and according to Cornelius Lapide, the consensus of the fathers, the, uh, it was, in fact, the consecration of the Eucharist happening here. Um, and the same thing is true at the Last Supper as well. A lot of people get confused there as well. People like to uh, are not sure there as well. Yes, at the Last Supper, that is also the consecration of the Eucharist, and Jesus literally holding himself in his hands. I was taught that the road to Emmaus was also, because he asks, is it just the consecration or is it the whole Mass? I was taught that it was a Mass because yes. Jesus taught them mm. before they sat down to break bread. And again, we see the two parts in the story, the first part being uh, the Word of God, the second part being the Mass of the Faithful, with the sacrament involved. And you see that same formula in uh, uh, St. Justin Martyr in his first apology right. uh, with a very clear, very detailed description of the Holy Mass in the mid-2nd uh, century A.D. So, uh, yeah, definitely the Mass. Cool, cool. Praise be to God. Now, going back to Max, I don't mean to fluff over Max's question. Max Smith said, uh, does GRN support Opus Dei? Again, I'm not sure what you, what, uh, maybe you can clarify what you kind of mean by that question so I can answer more specifically. But, I mean, we have no formal relationship with, with, with Opus Dei. I have in the past interviewed many Opus Dei uh, you know, uh, people, uh, priests even. So I'm not sure what you what you are asking me specifically, but if you'd like to recomment with something more specific, I'd be happy to address it. 
Uh, Eric Rodriguez, amen. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Morning, CDT family. Did I miss the new soundbite, Adrian? The Mario Kart one? The Mario Kart one? I don't know. Eric, which, which, which one are you wanting? I will play any sound effect you want me to play, unless it's the Horns of Judgment. See? <laughs> God, you is. My producer, I can't even get him to play the Horns of Judgment. Uh, but you, my dear listener, can control uh, our producer. Just tell him what you need to do. Lori said, yes, hallelujah. Did y'all know that Lori and Barbara were sisters? What? What? How did you know that? She just said it earlier oh, on. Scroll up. I didn't see that. <laughs> she said, my sister, Barbara. What? <laughs> she spelled it sister. <laughs> sister? My sister. Um, I did not see that. What? Praise be to God. That interview today with Nick Globe was really good, too. Oh, yeah. He was so cool. I didn't realize that that was like a mixed set of not everybody was pro. Like, it wasn't a pro-life produced film from the pro-life movement. It was completely independent and really cool. I'm so glad that he did that. Yeah, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised by a lot of things that were that he was saying, and I watched some interviews that he did with other people in preparation for the conversation. So uh, it was it was pretty pretty amazing. Now he himself, I don't even know what his religious background is. I didn't ask. Oh yeah, I didn't know either. Yeah, um, he said he's a little religious. I'm not sure what he meant. Not very much, but I think you know he did mention that he is post-abortive like myself, and he's had a journey. And then this movie has been a part of that journey. So, And his goal was to share the facts of the case, not necessarily make it a really uh, have, it a, have a real agenda to it. I think that's part of the reason why he was able to, uh, to leverage the cast that he did. Now, I wonder now, okay, so John Schneider's in the film. Now, uh, back in my day, he was, he was one of the Dukes of Hazard, which I absolutely loved. I used to have a 45. A vinyl record of the Dukes of Hazard theme song. And I had a little record player, and I used to play it all the time. So John Schneider's huge. And he's got a YouTube channel, by the way. But John Schneider owns a, uh, he owns like a movie-making um, compound in Louisiana where he makes a lot of these independent films, and he self-distributes and all of that. I, I, meant, I wanted to ask him, just out of pure curiosity, if he worked with John's production company on his facility over there. I'd be just curious about that. But um, at any rate, great conversation. Looking forward to seeing that posted later today. Yes, and I will be posting. Uh, feel free to share. I will uh, be posting both the interview with Nick, which on, honestly, I was like, after the interview, I was like, wow, this was a really good hour. I really enjoyed the first uh, guest, which was Michael Lofton and Nick. They were both excellent guests. Yeah, and so, great um, interviews today. I'll be both posting both uh, Nick Loeb's and the answers that uh, Michael Lofton was giving today. So cool. They'll be there. Mr. Uh, Mr. Thomas Anderson is back. Praise be to God. Yes, he's back a little bit. Please keep uh, Mr. Thomas in your prayers. He said he will not be really joining the show too much because he uh, has uh, some family issues. Uh, he had mentioned he actually hopped on to the Bree Dale show at the end of the show on Monday and said he was um, had some issues with his brother. And so uh, please keep uh, Mr. Thomas and his family mm-hmm. uh, in your prayers. Joaquin over on Facebook, a, a clearly a man of incredible taste, a, clearly a, a distinguished fellow, clearly somebody with great intelligence. Not good. This is uh, not a good sign. Pro- probably. I've never looked at his, his pictures, but I wouldn't doubt for one second that he's incredibly uh, attractive and good looking and handsome. Uh, just a man of great distinction. I don't like where this is going. Uh, Joaquin, um, he brings up the excellent point, very insightful, I would argue. 
He says, hashtag the horns. Uh, well done. Well said, sir. I mean, I, I think it's clear to the point. Very intellectual, very articulate. Well done, Joaquin. I agree. The horns. The horns over Alleluia for our welcoming new commenters. I wonder, I wonder what, what our Lord would think. I wonder. The horns over Alleluia. Mercy or judgment? Christopher. <laughs> what did he this say? This is getting creepy, Joe. This is getting creepy, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Isn't there a way to put polls on your videos on Facebook? Can't you do that? We can. Can we do That's a poll? Right. Okay, I'm going to create a poll on the fly here. Oh no! <laughs> uh, but this is. But the problem is, it's just on Facebook side. It's not on YouTube or anywhere else. Um, let's see how much time we have. Four, Forty-seven minutes. Conversate amongst 47 yourselves. Forty-seven minutes. Oh uh, my goodness! No, we have thirteen. Thirteen. Thirteen minutes. It's reverse. Let's reverse that. Okay. 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 It's much better. I was about to say, uh, oh, we had to, we're going for another forty-seven minutes today. Which uh, you conversate amongst yourselves for a second. Eric said, after Easter Sunday, or did you mean after the Easter period in regards to the new sound? After the oh yeah yes so the new sound I was referencing uh, the w- last week last Thursday was the Alleluia because during the uh, Lenten season you cannot use the word Alleluia. Uh, so once I was saying that I had the perfect sounder for the Easter season or after uh, for welcoming people, and that was Alleluia, Handel's Messiah, and uh, just couldn't use it because uh, we're in the season of Lent and you cannot say Alleluia during Lent or Advent. So fun fact, and uh, that was a sounder that I was referencing. Yeah, and some people have the do in their churches do the tradition of burying the Alleluia, which is like a plaque that you they literally will bury in this in this procession. The sisters, uh, the our host of our GM, general manager here at Houston, Tim Mott, interviewed the sisters of the Immaculate Province, Dominican sisters, and they do that every year. They bury Al. They call him Al. <laughs> and they bury Al at the beginning of Lent, and they uh, dig him up on Easter. So it's pretty yeah, funny. Yeah, I, I remember learning about that when I went to college for the first time, and I was like, that's so cool. I didn't know that was a Catholic tradition that we have, but it is. And then goodbye, John. John's got to run to work. Goodbye, John Delac. God love you, John. Thanks for being a part of our program. I'm trying to activate the poll. Joe, we've gotten, this is actually the second uh, asking for your opinion on The Chosen, Uh-oh. the second comment oh, I've seen. D- do you, do you want to go there? I, um, I, are you asking me? I, Valentine wants to go there. <laughs> it could be a fair warning. Okay, Valentine. This could possibly end the show. Uh, if I tell you what I really think, the whole thing could explode. Everybody will come here with pitchforks and want to burn me at the stake. They'll be like, hashtag bring back burning at the stake. Yeah, this his opinions on Chosen is worse than our discussion on transgenderism, homosexuality, <laughs> BLM, no suicide. Problem. This like this is like this is easily the it most t- controversial everything. The yes. most controversial thing that we would ever I mean, have talked yeah, about. Yeah, it does have hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes, so the first dissenting opinion maybe ever Ugh. in history. <laughs> I, do I wanna be that guy? I've already shared my opinions on the on the radio, so it's not as though it's a secret. But Chris said the poll vanished before I could respond. Bummer. Oh. I don't. The problem is I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> okay. Hashtag Joe has no idea how these polls work. Uh, Real there. I reopened it. Praise, you closed it. Praise be to God for for help. Cool. Okay. Uh, so while there is a poll going on the Facebook side, I don't know how to create polls on the YouTube side. No idea. No idea. Oh. However, uh, our producer is supposed to be putting the comments alive on the video feed at some point. So hopefully that'll get done soon. And then that way, if you're even if you're on YouTube, you'll be able to see and interact with people's comments elsewhere. 
uh, that would be, or at least see them and then be able to interact with the uh, with by commenting. Anyway, all right, ten minutes on the clock. Do we go there with the chosen? That's the question. So let's start with this before I ruin everybody's day. Uh, Emily, what do you think of the chosen? I like it. Adrian, what do you think of the chosen? I never seen it, so I have no opinion. Oh, I see how you are. I'm just uh, Mr. Neutral Ground. Switzerland, is that what we're talking about here? You're just not going to get involved. I can't can't comment on it. Never You're seen staying it. out of this thing. It's like uh, if I was would to uh, comment on the um, the Suarez opinion on predestination. I'm not familiar with this, so I couldn't comment on it. Oh, because that's a topic that comes up all the time. All the time. All like, the time. Like it's probably the thing that we talk about the most. You know, when I, to, when I used to work in corporate America, it was always Suarez, that guy. Oh, predestination. Are you talking about the canal? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it Suez. No. Suez, yeah. <laughs> um, the, so- the sounds like a, a horns of thunder topic. Amen. Can we hear the, what does the that sounder mean? just before I reveal my actual comments on... Let's hit it. Hit it. Look up, everybody. Everybody just look up right now. You hear it? The seals of the apocalypse being broken open. Do I hear the wings of locusts flying in mass with teeth and heads like lions? The seven-headed dragon with the ten horns and the diadems. Do I see them? The horns of thunder. All right. So here, all truth. Okay. Kidding aside. Eight minutes on the clock. I need to drag this out so that I have only seconds, and that way I can't reveal everything, and then we could just say goodbye and move on. All right, um, chosen. I tried watching it with the family last this past year. Let me say the good things about it. I love the idea. I love what they're trying to do with it. Create a television show around the life of Christ in a new and a creative way. And to do so with a production quality that's entertaining and gripping, and people who know how to act, people, you know, cinematographers, the costumes, the sets, the, the you know, I love that they did this. This is, that to me is inspiring. It's really, really cool. Um, there's a lot to say about, uh, about that. I wish we had more of it, not less. However, it's something you got to know about me personally when it comes to film and television about religious topics, especially about Our Lady in particular, Our Lord. <clears throat> I'm a snob. I, 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 I can't... There are films that just like turn me off no matter how good they're made, no matter what's, who stars in them, just because they are doing a disservice in some way. <clears throat> Here's what I mean. There was a, uh, I think it was made for TV, honestly, back in the 80s, about Peter and Paul. Anthony Hopkins played in the film. It played in it. He played St. Uh, Paul. And they depict, and it was underwritten by the Lutherans, and it had a clear agenda, a very anti-Catholic agenda. And you're watching it, and you're like, wow, star power, production power, they spent a lot of money, this is amazing. And then you're like, oh, but there's such an agenda here. And you're like, oh, it's so turned off. That's, what, that's, that's the kind of thing that I'm sort of referring to. So, on one hand, The Chosen is pretty cool because it's trying to do something that's never been done before. A television series that is, uh, that is uh, trying to depict our life, uh, of the life of, and mission of our Lord. And jo- uh, the, the actor who plays Jesus, Rumi, uh, is that how you say his name? Yes. Rumi? Um, he, he's captivating to just look at, right? I mean, 
I think it's uh, I, I I've never been been a big fan of the Viking depiction of Jesus, <clears throat> personally speaking. So uh, John is it Jonathan? Mm-hmm. Jonathan Rumi. Yes. Like uh, I think his uh, his portrayal of Jesus is very captivating and very interesting. But it's the portrayal of Our Lady. When we got to the wedding feast at Cana, I got really turned off. Now, listen, if you like this, praise be to God, don't let me tell you not, I'm not going to tell you not to go watch this or even not to like it. You're not going to get me to say that. However, for me, for me in my house, when you start to depict Our Lady, Queen of Heaven and Earth, Mother of the Incarnate Word of Christ, Word of God, Christ, our Lord and Savior, in any way other than what she was, I get, I get turned off super fast. So the other thing that kind of turned me off about the Wedding Feast of Cana uh, uh, episode, have you seen that, Emily, that particular episode? No. So I'm ruining this for you. Yes, Spoiler that's alerts. Turn your, plug your ears. So if you've not seen this, turn me off, don't watch, don't listen, because I'm about to spoiler alert. They have like wedding planners. As if the like, you know, like... <laughs> It was, I mean, were there wedding planners back in that day? Possibly, could be, I don't know, maybe. Let's just say it's true. All right, great. But it felt really cheesy that there were wedding planners in this episode. But they used them in a dramatic way to sort of carry, like, the drama of the scene. Because you don't get a lot of, there's not a lot of detail in the scripture about, you know, sort of the details of the wedding itself. You know, everything's focused on, in John's gospel on, on the episode between our Lord and our Lady. So they use some creative license. Fine, fair enough. But it just felt a little cheesy to me. It was that they depicted Our Lady so common, so casual. I, I, I struggle. She's the queen of heaven and earth. She had no stain of original sin. She never once committed a single sin, not venial, not mortal, her entire life. She does not act like you and I do. She doesn't carry herself in the same way you and I do. It's like the, the movie that Sony helped to produce called, I think it was, was it Risen? With Ray Fiennes playing the uh, Centurion. Entertaining. Good production value. Big budget. Hollywood A-list actor. But they depict Our Lady as wailing totally out of control at the foot of the cross. And, and, and the Centurion is like, who's that woman? Someone shut her up. Are you out of your mind? Are you out of your skull? That's the queen of heaven and earth. That's the Gibira. That's the Kekaritomene. She would never, she, would she be crying? Of course. Would she suffer sorrow? Absolutely. Would she give herself over to despair and anxiety? No, never. Never. That's the trick. She's not like the rest of us. She's human. Yes, she's not divine. That's true. But she's not like the rest of us. So anytime we see depictions of Our Lady being just like you and me, suffering anxiety, suffering uh, sorrow and depression in the way that you and I would because of our concupiscent natures, there's a major problem with that. And they just depict Our Lady as just this very common, casual, you know, very, uh, just, just like the rest of us kind of way. Like how? What did she do? Um, you're going to have to watch it for yourself. And again, I'm not trying to torch uh, the show. I'm really not. But this is how I took it. And this is, it turns me off and I'm just like, okay, I'm turned off by this now. I'm just totally turned off. And I was afraid that it was going to happen, to be honest. I, I tried to be fair going into it because I knew they weren't Catholics. 
that were making this film. They were Protestants. And, you know, do Protestants have a great understanding of Our Lady? I would argue no. Uh, some, have, some have wonderful understanding of Our Lady. That may be the case. But in, when it comes to film and television, you know, even Catholics suffer through depicting Our Lady very well, uh, even still. So, anyway, those are my thoughts on The Chosen. I've not ever gotten past that episode because of that. I can't, I couldn't go beyond that because of Our Lady. She is not Susan from around the corner. And that's how they kind of depict her in the, in the episode, as Susan from around the corner. Was it worse than um, Jesus saying, take this chalice away from me? Or the other despair? In the, remember we reflected yeah. on this in the gospel? So, all right, so you're asking me about how, uh, so Jesus seems to despair, is what you're saying? Yeah, in multiple occasions. Oh, we're out of time. Pause the music. <laughs> Pause the music. We'll, we'll hang out for a minute, minute longer. Okay, so that's a great question. It's a great conversation. So when like so we just like not feeling emotion would be inhuman, right? Ag- agreed. Mm-hmm. So our lady would feel emotion. She's human, but there's a difference. So um, my car got broken into. Someone tried to steal my car last year, and the shock value of opening the door, noticing that the door was drilled out, the dashboard was completely wrecked, the steering column was trashed, and the the insurance agency was like, "We may total your car." I was like utterly shocked. And the first inclination is, why couldn't I have caught this person in the act so I could beat them near death? Right? That's a human reaction. Or uh, when something happens to us, we give ourselves over to this moment of, of self-pity. <clears throat> Very common for people with concupiscent natures. Would our Lord, would our Lady have done the same? They experience the same things. 